and welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. We've got a special surprise for you guys today. Um, we have a guest, one of our contributors, and the uh, producer of Kiss My Lit, the young adult blog. Mary is here today. Um, she's going to talk to us about, with us, about how music and books influence each other, as well as get in a little bit on our, uh, our album review. She had listened to it as well, so she'll be discussing that with us. But um, first, um, it's a slow news week this week. I scoured for some things relevant to us, because that's usually all we ever talk about. There's, uh, actually, there was only one thing. Um, lead singer from Papa Roach is going under surgery. Let's just put our hearts out to him, because for the next two months, he can't talk. He may not get his voice back. Things can go bad, so yeah. we may actually lose Papa Roach. Um, they do have a new album coming out in October. It's already been recorded, so you know it won't affect the album, but unfortunately it could greatly affect their tour um, if things go poorly. So our hearts go out to him. It's and, the saddest when a singer loses their voice. And yeah, it's a, it's a terrible effect. No, of course, yeah, for anyone. Um, but moving on, um, we're going to try a new segment this week called uh, uh, What We Listened To This Week. And it's like it sounds. We're just going to talk about what we listened to this week. Because we're not going to get to every album we've ever heard in the past or coming up in the future. Because we can't time travel yet. I I can. <laughs> liar. Yes, I can. Watch. I'll go one second into the future. There I am. And anyway, <laughs> moving on. Our listeners have no proof. Therefore, <laughs> that's take his word. What did I hear this week? So, I, I was listening to Flowbots because hint, there hint. are albums coming out this week. Okay. I've been listening to them nonstop. Them and All American. It was a weird combination. So was, you really did pick up on the new All-American that we uh, reviewed? God, you really I was, like it? I, I was still almost in tears over and over again listening to that album. It, it was, does it. It really spoke to me. But it was that song, Perfection. Uh, it was a great, really great did song. It. I was also getting into a lot of the, the, the hip-hop and rap and flowbot type. I was listening to a little bit of Anti-Fly because I want to get ready for this album. Because <laughs> I have to be ready for this album. We're, we're going to be reviewing it soon. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's been my week. Okay. Um, so, uh, my week, um, the beginning of the week started out with the standards. I've still been listening to the new Eve 6 album a lot, um, as well as the, um, the latest from Flogging Molly I've been listening to a bit. But my weekend, I started listening to a lot more metal and classic rock because I went camping with a few friends of mine, and my riding po- partner down to or upstate to go camping, Joseph, who writes for the blog as well, uh, the website rather, he is more into older music. He doesn't li- like a lot of newer stuff. So uh, I made a, a mix CD for him so he might enjoy the ride a little more. And it was very heavily focused on Odeth, Blue Oyster Cult, Iced Earth, um, oh, what else was on there? Metallica, Megadeth. Um, There's little classic rock queens and the Beatles. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time listening to mostly that. And I know who you went up with. And I know one of the other gentlemen you went up with is a pure, pure uh, death metal fan. Uh, yeah, Rob, but he wasn't in the same car as us. Oh, thank God! It was just, it was, <laughs> it was just, it was just me and Joseph. In I've the been car. on road trips with him one more time. I have to hear someone screaming in Elvin, and I'm, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I don't blame you. <laughs> I think your ears would probably go out after a certain amount of time, so then you wouldn't have to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about you, Steve? What did you listen to this week? Well, as usual, I'm usually on the opposite side of the fence here, but there's a there's a piece I've been obsessed with for a very long time. It's uh, way back in the classical side of things. It would be Sugriabin Piano's Sonata 5. Anybody? Thought not. You're so fancy. 
Yeah, I bet. Well, in any case, that's that's been like my thing for the past year, but I've been Eight so obsessed words. with that. <laughs> Everyone is just so fascinated by this. Just, just sit, listen, listen. Anyway, piano sonata number four. <laughs> Check it out. It's uh, interesting. Okay. Definitely sounds very different. Was that just the extent of it? Mostly classical stuff? Uh, I, I, in, like, eternally in a Scriabin how, phase. How okay. long is that piece? That would be about 13 minutes. Okay. I Next time, listen so to Alice's Restaurant. Because it's about 13 minutes, and it's more fun. <laughs> you have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> and what about you, Mary? What have you been listening to this week? Um, I've been listening to a lot of Lauren Fairweather. She's a wizard rocker. Uh, I've been trying to prepare for my next Wizard Rock Roundup. She does a lot of acoustic work. I've been obsessed with The Prince's Tale, which is the story of Snape and Lily and how they became friends, how Snape fell for her, and how their relationship changed over time. And basically, their story. So she's a really fun artist. She has three albums, uh, Prince's Tale, I'm Saying Nothing, and Devil's Snare, I believe that's what it's called. And they're also very different. I definitely recommend her. Okay, great. Right. Um, well, moving on. All right. Well, now to the topic of the day, the album review, which is what we are here for every week. And uh, I decided to take a different route this week um, by sort of stepping away from my tastes to go toward a band, which I feel connects a little bit to the Eve 6 discussion that we had a couple weeks back. Um, and it stems off of what you think of a band which goes back and does something fairly retro. Now, in the case of Eve 6, of course, they were just doing what they were used to, but it was about 10 years too late. In this case, it's a very intentional retro band that jumps way back to the early 60s. The band is called The Young Veins, and the album is Take a Vacation. So, discuss that a little bit. So, I thought that the album had a very strong start. Change, you could definitely get that feel for the, the, the mid-60s kind of sound, but it had enough of this kind of impact and, and layering for, for a modern song to kind of really hook you in. I thought it was a great intro track. You know, a lot of bands, they won't always start strong with the intro track. They'll kind of just give you a, a throwaway in the beginning to just because it's easier. But I like when an album has a strong start, and this one definitely did, and it definitely did stand out. It had solid vocals. The guitar work was a little more modern than what you would normally expect with the 60s sort of sound. Because this band really tended to gear themselves towards like a 1960 to 64 rock pop style. Not pop in the way we talk nowadays, but the actual popular yeah, music. Stuff that was popular at the time. Beatles, Monkeys, Rolling Stones. That's that's what these guys modeled Beach themselves. Beach Boys. Well. Beach Boys. Beach Boys influence. Yes. Primarily, it's it's more of a, a Beatles Beach Boys compilation album. Now that said, it should also be mentioned at this point that this was done by two former members of Panic at the Disco, Mind Blue. Now, are they? I actually had this question when I was talking to Mary earlier. Are they no longer in Panic at the Disco? No longer in Panic. Okay, at the so Disco. Panic at the Disco they, still exists, but with different members. These guys left. Exactly. Okay. One of them actually was in Panic at the Disco way early on in Panic at oh, the Disco's okay. career. So okay. the early stuff that you might remember from the mid two thousands is these guys. Huh. And Interesting. Most people don't realize that. Well, that's what I enjoy most from Panic at the Disco. Well, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, their sound, they, they had songs that were very classic rock sounding. Those were the songs I enjoyed. The more modern stuff that Panic! of the Disco did wasn't really my tastes. Yeah. But Which no, the, the early bad. stuff I actually thought was fun work. Yeah. I agree. But um, Interestingly enough, I saw them in concert with the band Fun. So. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Fun. Oh, right, you had told me that you saw Fun and hadn't quite realized it was them when you saw them. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we can all agree that the, the change is definitely a strong intro to the album. Tracks two through five, at first listen, were kind of forgettable for me, only because they were like they felt very cookie cutter '60s music. It certainly, and and let's for anybody who either likes or doesn't like. 60s music, this is going to be the determinant as to probably whether you're going to enjoy the album. There are some that cross over, but I'd say these tracks are really black and white. If you're not a fan of early 60s music, you may not pick up on this. Right. Well, uh, Take a Vacation had a very, um, uh, a little more towards the monkey style of happy-go-lucky kind of 1960s love song. Sure. Um, in fact, that's what I really call this this sort of music, love rock, because the vast majority of the music made during this era was just uh, the variants of the love song. Um, entire albums are devoted to this sort of music, mm-hmm. and it's the, the, the songs that aren't actually love songs that tend to be the popular standouts. Uh, but anyway, Take a Vacation had, had a very, like I said, monkey kind of pop sound. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of nice keyboard rifting in there. Uh... And then the fourth track, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Well, let's not. I'm sorry to interrupt, but let's not skip over Cape Town. Well, no, I'm, I'm making a comparison. Oh, okay. The the keyboard riffing in Take a Vacation was was kind of prevalent with the piano work, and maybe I will, maybe I won't. Okay. Uh, it, it felt more like Ringo was getting his moment to shine. <laughs> you know, he, was, he was allowed. Yeah. Hey, Ringo, we know you write music. Here's your turn. Yeah. Kind of a a, a song, and it's so celebrating that... that side of the '60s. And it was <laughs> never forget, surely. It was happy go lucky. No matter really, how hard we try, it really yes. personified that happy go lucky octopus's garden. Yeah. with a little help from my friends, kind of a feel. Yeah, um, a very simplistic kind of just fun, easy song. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but definitely very, very simple. I mean, this is the dawn of rock as we know it, so and they're really paying very close homage to that, so yeah. you need to take it with a grain of salt. I thought that Cape Town, though, number three, really felt the most like that kind of Beach Boys, Fun in the Sun kind of song. Mm-hmm. It had that kind of feel. Very summery album to me, actually. I loved Cape Town. I think it was my favorite track on the entire album. We have album. a Cape Town fan. I'm so glad I found a Cape Town <laughs> fan. I've been arguing with John for hours over whether Cape Town Cape had some Town value. Cape Town and Defiance, I think they're my two favorites. Those were it had a wonderful Defiance course. Defiance is one of my favorite yeah. tracks on the record. But tell us more yeah, about why you, why you like Cape Town. Well, my... I had a very different experience listening to the album than you guys did. You guys listened to it together. I listened to it at work. So I had a lot of things going on while I'm listening to the album. I'm taking care of like my actual job while listening. That's okay. You wouldn't have gotten any words in edgewise and barely would have heard the tracks had you been listening with us. Yes. So while I'm listening, I'm enjoying the sound of the music. I'm tapping my foot. I'm having a good time. I'm getting stuff done. And then I realized... Oh, she had fun listening to the music. We just look at each other's eyes and see whether we're actually like slowly <laughs> dying inside. Yeah, we're not sure where to nitpick, but we have to look. We take cues. Oh, yes, but let's all say something. Oh yeah, bad during about the this. Eve, the, during the Eve Six album listen, yeah. I kept looking at Steve like he didn't say anything. He's not writing anything down. Why isn't he writing anything down? So you we know. break each other's hearts all the time, so. constantly. I'm not surprised. You had fun. Yes, I did have fun. I'm listening, and I realize I haven't paid one iota of attention to the lyrics. So I actually looked up the lyrics and went back a little bit to kind of pay more attention. And I realized a lot of the songs are very sad, which is strange because the music itself is very upbeat. So there's that stark contrast. And it made me think recently I've been listening to also the Time Life Collection, the Teen Years. And I'm listening to these 50s and 60s teen rock music. 
and they're a lot of them are love songs like john said john said earlier and i'm realizing how depressing they are like they're so romantic and like kind of happy and sound but they're talking about how they broke up in high school and hey look that's your little girl you fell in love with someone else aw and i'm like my well, heart it just broke yeah that, they, they that, had that closeted way of just like singing happily on stage bobbing their heads singing right into the microphone like i'm happy i'm crying on the inside <laughs> some of the uh specifically if we're going to talk this band we we will be making plenty of allusions to the beatles and two of the really, uh, for me, one of my favorite love songs by them, uh, especially when you're talking early years, you're talking Ticket to Ride, which is, about uh, I love you, but you're, you don't love me back. And then there's yeah. All My Lovin', which is a song about how I'm going to think of you when I'm with somebody else. So you're talking very heartbroken love songs. Yes. Yeah. These songs really did feel that. Uh, they, they captured it. They, I got to say, this album as a whole did capture the 60s. And that that that's going to be where I'm going to start pointing out some flaws in this album, because Cape Town is where it truly personifies my my first big glaring flaw in this album, and that's Cape Town felt like it was underproduced. Fair I, enough. Fair enough. I, it wasn't. I, it, it felt childish. That was my big thing. It felt like they were childishly playing music. I, I you know I'll accept that, and and this is. Definitely an interesting point, because we established how on opposite sides of the fence we usually are with this, how I usually prefer the, the, the overproduced stuff, the stuff that has a lot of, you know, and composition that went into it. Yeah, the, the ingenuity is involved. Mm-hmm. And as far as ingenuity here, of course the song has been done in some sense many times over. But it, it's almost a forgotten art. Like, I feel like so few bands even try to go toward that these days that their goal as a band was to bring that back to fruition. And I think that because that was their goal, they succeeded in it. I can only, I can only admire them for that. Um, and, yeah, okay, I've got to give you that. They, did, they, they went for the 60s. They went for an early Beach Boy Beatles sound, and they, they nailed it. They really did nail it. But it wasn't, an, it, from changes to everyone but you... It was very, it felt very underproduced. It felt very, not soulless, just churlish, just not really dedicated to making this music their own. They were almost just trying to bank on the older sound. And Young Vane's Die Tonight, I think, really personified that strongly for me. Well, see, even though I, I, I see what you're going toward, and I can almost see it in a sense from tracks two through five, track six. I, everyone but you, I, I don't see it in the slightest. I actually found that to be the most modern or, or, or cutting-edge track on the album. It had, it had this background keyboard sound here, which I feel you could only get from like alternative music. That was their, their way of saying, we still are of the modern era. If you could hear 2010, you'll hear it here. Well, also, I mean, everyone's going to have kind of a different opinion on how much complexity lends to modern. Um, and... I mean, for me, like, I thought that Five really defined a more modern sound, even though it still was very rooted in the 60s, only because I made a comparison to The Strokes. That's true. Which they sounded, that track sounds very much like The Strokes' very early stuff. And the funny thing about that is The Strokes' very early stuff sounds very much like Rolling Stones and like this classic rock kind of homage, which then leads back to the 60s. You get that idea of borrowing from a time which was borrowing from the 60s. From a time. It connects it all. And, you know, but I I do agree that they did get more complex towards the end of the album. I mean, still one of my favorite tracks that stands out completely is Defiance, which 
which was track nine, I felt that it just, it, it was the song on the record that got my attention and really got me to listen. And I really just liked this kind of more modern take they did on this kind of 60s style. Um, I, I don't, I don't really, I understand John was talking earlier about how he feels that some of the simplicity hurts the record because they're capable of so much more. But I don't think it hurts them. I think it it helps them because it shows it, the couple of tracks that are so different stand out so much more because the other stuff was so simple. I but, agree 100% with that assessment. But I'm going to say that while, yes, the, the tracks that really stood out for me, uh, besides that opener change where it's after change, it's, it's, it lost me a little. And then it picked me back up with Everyone But You, which was... Um, uh, a more modern take on a Simon and Garfunkel dreamy lovey-dovey song, which I said before, I'm, I'm I don't like Simon and Garfunkel, but they inspired some great music. <laughs> and then Wait, the other girl, which was it had the same sort of feel as <laughs> All My Lovin', with some great guitar works in there, uh, gu- guitar riffs, and then they killed it again with Dangerous Blues. That I was dangerous blues. Oh, I, I, that felt like the most throwaway of the tracks for me. Yeah, that was the only yeah. one I wasn't too on board with either, actually. As far yeah, as we were, that was like one of the few tracks we were in agreement that it kind of just felt like it was there. It wasn't necessarily what, bad. What, what, what did you find? What did you like about it? I like it was a little bit more mellow than the rest of the tracks. I love the lyrics for it, so I could think that's what really sold that's me. That's true. We didn't really yeah, we didn't really pay attention a lot to the lyrics, so that could be why she really liked it. Well, uh, two, one question. And then possibly a follow-up. Did you look... <laughs> were you listening to the lyrics on this track the first time, or were you reading along with them? I was reading along as I was listening. That Something does, we never do. That's yeah, not something be, we do. Be. Uh, and that's what I... If I truly find that, like, a sound, I'm going to do that with the lyrics just to learn it. That's not something I'm going to do on a first listen-through with an album. And I think that's why you may like it a little bit more than we did. Because that's we didn't read the lyrics right. a lot. And I that, love that's, lyrics. that's a little flaw I'm in the in, in the, the lyrics, just like you. I mean, I like the storytelling aspect that lyrics can give you. So, But if i got to read lyrics in order to understand the masterfulness of it, it means that the song's not good enough for those lyrics. Well, it's a good point. That's what, but, I, that's what I look at. But that it does define sort of a flaw in our analytical process here, is that lyrics are the kind of things that have to grow on you over time. Unless you have... a, a you know, they're, unless they're available to you at the outset. Right. When we listen to music, we're trying to get the general vibe of the song. There will be certain lyrics that just, you know, cut through immediately because they're so glaring, and, and those are probably going to be, uh, that, that's probably going to contribute to your opinion of the song right. in the meaningful sense. But in general, sometimes you can gloss over it. It's very easy to gloss over it because the music is what gives you the vibe, and the vibe sets the stage for the way in which you determine the song therein. Well, that's why, I mean, to sidetrack a little bit, me and Steve were talking off air about how I really enjoy this trend of lyric videos that a lot of artists release officially now. Yes. Um, you know, artists will release an actual produced music video, but before that, as soon as a single drops, they'll release a lyric video. And I think it's actually quite brilliant because the lyrics are usually woven into the video in a way that kind of makes you pay attention to the flow of the song as well as the lyrics. And you don't get that with some of the older stuff. You know, bands don't always do Well, that. they also do that mostly with singles. And yeah. the thing is, in singles, usually it's easier to pick up on the lyrics than in a in another song on an album. Yeah, usually no, you, might, I agree. you might need to delve a little further into those other tracks. There are exceptions to that rule, yeah. but generally, I would agree with that. And but that's it's, uh, that's all. Well, my point is trying to say is Mary is defining something which it 
you could your your opinion and our opinion could definitely improve on second, third listens. Yes, absolutely. Speaking. Oh yeah, that's with anything. But but our album reviews we've always said from the get go are about first impressions. First impressions. Yeah. That's it. Um, so I guess that's why we diverge with with uh, Dangerous Blues. I mean, it makes I actually sense. Actually, should read the lyrics and see yeah. if it, they are better than what they sounded like because that was a big detractor for me. I found it, them to be lovely. The, Lyrically, and that's what I have to say, the uh, reason why I rated Eve 6 so high, because not only did their lyrics just speak to me so well, I got them on the first listen through. Gotcha. That was something, I heard the poetry that first time I'm hearing songs. I didn't really hear that poetry in these lyrics. Maybe the music was masking it a little bit too much, but if you're saying that Dangerous Blues is a good song, I just couldn't hear it, that's not going to be a point in its favor. Yeah. Um... But anyway, going on, there was my favorite song, which was Defiance. And I likened that to the anthem of early rock. Yeah, it definitely had that kind of marching beat, this kind of anthem that's carrying you through this song. It's why I like, there's certain songs that just kind of you get behind because they have that kind of imagery that you'll picture when you hear a certain beat or a certain rhythm. We, we got that from Kids in the Street last week. You know, we felt that it was very cinematic. And this song also, I got that kind of feel of revolution or kind of uprising with this with this song. Right. Well, Defiance was my fourth favorite track, but again, it might... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not downplaying it the slightest. I actually agree with you 100% that it probably is the... It's the most modern and maybe the most original song on the album. But I guess my rating system for this album is a little strange, because I am trying to look at it through a 60s eye. Which is why Changes was really right. the first, the opening track, was my number one favorite song. Because I felt that it, 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 def- it defined the 60s in many ways, while also breaking free of the, you know, almost rigid verse-chorus, verse-chorus style that the 60s, we admit, did have. And it, it just, it, it, it stretches that a little bit, right? Before actually settling us into a few tracks that are very much of the era. Right. Yeah. And as we're getting closer to talking about the end of the album, I felt that... Like, I really liked Lie to the Truth, and after listening to it more closely when we kind of followed up with it, uh, what was it, Heart of Mine, the the final track, at first I thought that the final track was kind of a weak closing, but then after talking to Steve about it, I kind of realized that for the time period that they were trying to emulate, it was very in- indicative of... It was the segue to yeah. the hippie era, yeah, in yeah. many ways. It, it had this very gather-round, sing-kumbaya uh, yeah, yeah. kind of feel. And it did it did very much match that, where upon a second kind of half-listen, because we'll sometimes go back just to remember the tracks and keep them fresh in our head, I did agree with that. And uh, But, you know, I mean, all in all, I thought that the flow of the album was very good. It was definitely not... It was definitely a compilation album. It was definitely a bunch of tracks that were just put together by the by the band. But I think... Exactly, and that too you have to gri- take with a grain of salt because right. early '60s albums were in many ways were compilations. Yeah, yeah this the art was to make a compilation yeah. that yeah. would fit in the '60s era, the early '60s, and they, in that res- uh, retrospect, they did a great job. This felt like, while it would have been innovative back then, it would have fit in 1965. This could be uh, a competing band up against the Rolling Stones. And the Beatles. I, I feel like, well, they, I'm not going to beat them. I'm not saying this is going to be the same caliber, especially when you compare it to, like, how... I'd almost say it does It does go against some of the early Beatles albums. Like, I would say oh. it beats out Please Please Me and maybe Meet the Beatles, which is when Beatles were still in their fledgling state. And then after that, of course, they evolved. They were doing a lot of... They things. weren't really doing as much original stuff. They were doing a lot of just... Right. Just, uh, 
covers and things like that, they hadn't quite found their their groove as of yet. Right. This, yeah, okay, maybe, all right, maybe not Meet the Beatles because that's a special space. <laughs> but it probably beats the second album, and it it almost definitely it'll beat Please Please Me. That's not saying a whole lot, of course, but it is saying something. It's saying this this album does fit in the genre that they're trying to emulate. But for me, it doesn't. It still doesn't quite hit like true stardom as as far as an album goes. Well, that's just the thing. To what stardom do you think could be achieved with doing music of this style uh, today? I'm not saying that it's the 1960 that detracts it. I'm saying it after talking with you. We argued about this for an literally one or two hours. Yeah, so the listeners just going back the and tail forth. end of this after many heated words have been exchanged. And for the most part, I didn't actually say anything good because I couldn't get good things out. I kept trying to defend myself. Um, but the real problem I had with this album is it felt childish. Parts of it felt like they did not really put any dedication into creating the, the uh, melodies of this album. They were really just trying to, to emulate um, a Beach Boy Beatles sound. They were trying to make it too much like the 60s. Well, I usually make a distinction between childish intended versus childish desired. Well, actually, that's the I've same been, thing. Yeah. <laughs> childish intended it, versus childish accidental. Like it childish seems like, no. by virtue of a, a band who, who hopes to achieve a certain level but just doesn't get there. But I believe this album was clearly intended from the start. And But, you know, see, I don't see that because they do have... Um, with changes with actually everything past track six except for Dangerous Blues which I'm still on the fence about now <laughs> was a more modern take the first five uh, uh, four of the first five tracks were very uh, simply composed they were they were not really thought out they were just kind of phoned in not soulless the way some other bands I've described, but uh, heartless. They really did not dedicate themselves into making this music. Well, what's strange is that, and I, I didn't actually even think of this sort of phrasing earlier on, but Matt just said it perfectly uh, a few minutes ago, that there is sort of, the arc to this album is to put forward a track that sort of blends the old and the modern together, and then to sort of settle you into the more simple, static, 60s sound, and then bring you up with uh, something that's a little more cutting edge again, and bring you back. And I'm not sure if it was simply one or the other, it would have had the same effect. Because if it was completely old 60s style, I don't think people would have accepted it too much. It would have, it would have been, I guess, borderline plagiarism. And if it was a complete mashup, it would have been something new. It wouldn't have been the retro album that they desired. I know that Steve said something really important there, and I'll have to go back and listen, but all I'm focused on is the part where he said I made a good point, so I'm going to have to, like... You did I, make that good point. I just want to hold on to that you for did. a sec. Believe that you mentioned it. It's you usually me that makes a good point. Always and Steve the tone agrees. of surprise. Listener, yeah, so always rewind, the tone of surprise. he made a good point. <laughs> but, no, I, I, I will liken it to the album arc, at, to the White Stripes. The White Stripes have come and, come and gone. You know, Jack White, it, there's no denying he's a musical talent. Meg White, not so much. But I was always of the mindset. Don't pit brother and sister against each other. Even though they it's weren't not. actually brother and sister. Oh, that's true. I that. They were ex-husband and ex-wife. Oh, dear. But th- what I'm likening it to is with the White Stripes, I thought they were good because Jack White's con- uh, complicated bass and guitar riffs were complemented by her extremely childishly simple drum beats. And I thought that they made it stand out more. That's true. Somebody actually put it out to me, that question, whether that made 
whether that made it better, better or whether worse. it contributed to it or detracted from it. And and, and, and with this album, I would say yeah. with this album, I feel that those simpler, those simplistic tracks made the rest of made defiance, made lie to the truth, made young veins die tonight stand out to me, made change stand out to me because those tracks were there. Whereas if it were all just like Defiance, it would have kind of just blended together for me and I would have gotten bored probably. Now here's the mm. whole thing. You name the one, the, the tracks, uh, that I agree, except for uh, Die Tonight. That, that really wasn't too big on my list. But those are the tracks that actually had the most modern sound of them. Right. The tracks that I have issue with here are the ones that don't blend the modern sound. And I'm saying that those define the album. That they make the better ones that you identify with more stand out. I'm but not my, saying that you have to going, agree. That's the point back, that I highlighted. Yeah. Going back to your White Stripes comparison, you can hear in the drums, she has such glee and such heart invested in these drums. I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that that love in these music in these uh, songs that really would say yes. We're making something that's very old fashioned. No, see, I, I go back. It. I heard that with Cape Town, and that's that was one of the things we argued about. Is because with Cape Town, I believe it was a very sweet message said with a lot of passion. Just because you don't see the, you I, know, I the... just hear chord, 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 chord. I'm hearing the same note over and over. Again. You're hearing the early '60s. That's the way a lot of songs were back then, and they would not have achieved their goal if they did anything else. But at the same time, I'm saying, it, for the 60s, this would be a great album. But we have to look at it in a modern-day view, because we're not in the 60s. There's a lot more to draw upon. With, with The Other Girl, Defiance, and Change, specifically, those three tracks, you have the 60s, but you have a modern take on it. You don't have just the same old sound you had 50 years ago. It is an adaptation. It is something new, and that's what really makes these tracks stand out for me. Well, I put it out there that this is not just a, you know, matter of which to, a discussion of whether, how to judge this album, but it's a discussion on how to judge albums, music in general, all across the board. And the way I have to figure it is that if I, if I were to take that stand and judge everything by the new and most groundbreaking work to come out, which of course, this is not really groundbreaking in any way, right? I agree with that. But if I were to take that stand, then I'd have to be harsher on some other genres, which I don't personally like, which I don't think, you know, elevates itself. Like, I have, I have to admit, you know, punk, I'm not that big a fan, right? But I admit there's some value there, right? I, I always will admit that there's a lot of value to come out of punk. But if I were to take that stand, then I'd have to just be purely critical of it. Because then I'd say that it's not, it's not advancing music too much. I think I, it, that... that that's, a, that, that's a discrepancy in your argument. I think that... John's personal taste is bleeding into his perceptions of this album. That's the irony. He says he likes early 60s music. Yeah, I really do. I, so, I, I truly love... Which that's is why when, this argument's been going on yeah, for hours. I think it's when, Steve, when Steve so was bad-mouthing Meet the Beatles, he was, he was not talking good about Meet the Beatles, that album. I, I was in general, I'm not a fan of most <laughs> early 60s work. But I think what they did with early 60s work, the Young Veins... I I am down with. I think I this is. This, I think this album is the exception that proves the rule. The stuff that we talked about a little bit last week, and how no matter how hard you try, certain hypocrisies will develop in your judgment of music, no matter what you do. John admits that he likes some simple '60s music. Yet, 
the Simple 60s songs on this record are what are one of the things that are making him to attract points. I'm not finished. I know John's getting ready to, to counterpoint. Just let me finish. We're both ready to counterpoint. But I think that sometimes when you're listening to music, certain, certain things hit you that no one else sees. No two people listen to music the same way. You will find similarities, but no one listens to music the same way. And I think this is an album that's really polarizing Matt. Well, this is why I chose it because no, I, I'll, I'll let John speak. I'll yeah, he, because both clearly... of you have both of you have talked against me, and I haven't been able to rebuttal. <laughs> it's not just the songs that are specifically '60s, but th- those songs they don't feel like they have the same soul as what was present in '60s music. They don't feel like they have the same love that was present in '60s music. That's where it's distracting. Oh, I blatantly disagree with that. I no, think it's on par, at least. Yeah, I hear it. I, I don't, hear that. I just don't there. hear it. I don't. I hear. Uh, Mary ex- said it best. Outside Mary the lyrics, said it best earlier no, no, no. on. Outside it, it, it's the, the lyrics, sweet sadness that comes with playing music of that style. Outside of the lyrics and the actual vocals, the guitar work, the the bass work, the drum work tends to be very simple, very passe, very. Did you really just Plain. say passe? Yeah. Passe. <laughs> very, very <laughs> bland. Even by comparison to 60s music, it feels really bland. And Steve, you said you didn't really like the 60s or get into it. Not the early, well, the early 60s. I've Not heard later a, 60s. I've listened to a lot of this early 60s stuff. So I, I gotta say, I, I just don't hear the same uh, emotions that were present back then. Well, again, but I, on the I, same I side, on the same side, here, here's... That's that's what's bad. The album itself truly captures a modern take on the '60s. Um, while some of my my personal taste and which tracks I think are good I actually don't even line up because I don't particularly like track seven emotionally, but I think it's a great guitar work built into it. Overall, anyway, forget about all that. This album actually <laughs> is really good. If it flows together, no, no, no. I said all these bad things about it, but that's what's going to take away from the album for me. On the flip side, they had a very clear goal here. They were trying to emulate uh, a specific genre of music. They did it admirably. Well, that's the big question. By which should we rate it? If if I'm going to rate it in the 1960s, I would give it uh, straight up 4 out of 5. Actually, I would say this is a 4.5 because there's a couple of songs in here that would just truly be innovative back then. It's a 4.5 out of 5 in the 1960s. Okay, so this is why I made that comparison. I'll, I'll Today? Let, I'll let you, I'll, hold on, you can get to that in one second. This is why I made the comparison to Eve 6, and the whole reason I chose this album to start with is because I think it's very fascinating, considering the, the big debate that we had that day as to whether Eve 6 should be rated of today or of the 90s. Now, 90s is, 60s is a far cry from the 90s, so I suppose I was a little harsher with Eve 6 because the 90s seems like yesterday almost, well, at least to some of us, but... That's a dig at me and my age, but I'll ignore it. (laughs) Continue, Steve. Fair enough, but still, it's a matter of, I guess it is a little bit a matter of time frame, but it is why I caved with Eve 6 regarding our discussion that day, is that I, 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 if, if I'm going to say that this album... Is, is a credit to the way in which it is a retro album to the 60s, in homage, then I have to say the same thing for Eve 6, despite that that is not my taste. I think it's just an important thing to note. 
Yes, and well, <laughs> okay, okay. No, I see exactly what you're talking about. Yes, but completely no, irrelevant. <laughs> no, no, it's not completely irrelevant because I did. Uh, I, I I rated it higher because they had a specific goal. Well, is your is your argument that I should not rate it in by that? No system. No, no, rate it how you want to rate it. <laughs> All right, you. We all rate how we want to rate. Steve is trying to get me to convince him that he should just be a jerk and just rate everything at ones and twos. And right this now he's, is got his, he's got his hand toward the microphone, like he's really he's, trying to break it down to you, I'm, like over a beer or something like that. <laughs> okay. No, okay. I'm gonna reel you both back in for a minute, sir, okay. and put need, us back we, on track. We need that. Okay, first we'll do. Uh, we'll start what I did. Everybody give their 1960s level of rating. No. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I refuse. No. We know we're not doing that. We're not doing okay. that. Okay, so here's the facts. The facts is we're reviewing an album and we're giving it a rating based on us personally and how we feel about it. We've always done that. We've deviated on what our five-star scale really means to us, but we've never had to justify it to someone else. Only justify it against our own rules. Here we go. Regardless of how John personally feels about this album, it's clear that you and Steve will not agree on that. And that's fine, because it only further proves to me that every person listens to music differently. It's important. It is. <laughs> we'll just agree to disagree, and everything will just be hunky-gory. Well, that's, that's <laughs> what we have to do, because in reality, this isn't going to be the first album that breaks us down. I can't wait till we find an album where one of us thinks it's a one, and someone else thinks it's a five. It's going to happen. You'll find that, it. Oh, that'll... Oof. And that's going to be an even wider we'll, we'll spread argument. Three right there. Because r- really, honestly, at this point, you guys are arguing semantics. Significant semantics. But still semantics. Based on personal opinion of the album. Okay, See, I'm gonna that, re- I, that I disagree with. I don't believe this is semantics. I believe this is an important discussion. I'm gonna, well, I, I don't mean semantics as in it's the valueless. Breadth, the breadth of our knowledge. I'm going to really both back in and say, I'm giving this album a 3.5. This is a 3.5. They set out to do something. They did it. They did it well. They, it felt like a 1960s album. They really did a good job. I just felt they actually could have done better. Fair enough. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Not that much higher. So, which is why this is really ironic, because we're we're close to the same opinion on the album, but not the same opinion on it's the album. It's very listenable, but I'm, it's. Right. Well, I, I give it a four out of five because uh, again, I make a distinction between a band that that knows what they're doing and intentionally does something and achieves it, versus a band that you know just barely made it. And I don't think this is a band that barely made it. I think they definitely achieved what they wanted to achieve. And I, I think that is a part of the rating system. And for me, I, I was going to give it a three. Not because I didn't like it, but just because it was one of those albums that I thought, would, you know, it's something I could listen to. I like it. I'm not really a big, huge fan of 60s music. I like it. You know, I, I like the Beach Boys. I like the Beatles. But it's not something that I go out of my way to listen to as much as some other genres. However... After talking about it more and seeing some of the innovation within the album, I'm willing to bump it up to a 3.5 because I feel that it's above average. It's To me, it's not the greatest album I've ever heard, but it's definitely above average. You know, I can't rate it higher than 3.5 because it would throw off my scale on the way I've rated certain things about more or less just how much I like it and what I take from it. But I would definitely give it a second listen. It would definitely end up in a regular rotation. There are definitely songs in here that will end up on mixes for sure. You know, Defiance and Change are songs that stand alone so strong that I would love to put them on other CDs. Well, it's a don't forget the 60s album, I exactly. think, first and foremost. And that, that's part in, in, in my rating system as well. Mary? I would give it a 4. I give it a 4 out of 5 because 
like I said, I listened to it in a very different environment, so I didn't have a lot of people yammering in my ear about what they didn't like about it. No offense, guys. (laughs) But I was able to fully enjoy it. I was able to have a good time with it. I also read the lyrics, and I fell in love with the lyrics. You know, I'm a sucker for a good story. And I felt that there was a great storytelling aspect to the lyric writing. So that that holds a lot of weight for me. So I give it a four. Okay. So... Um, definitely worth checking out, um, especially if you're a fan of 60s, early 60s or early to mid 60s music. You would de- likely definitely fall in love with this album. I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's a shame that this is the only album by this band. Revel in the origins of rock as it is in 2010. <laughs> pr- pr- pretty much, yeah. And uh, from that, we're going to take it to um, our main topic of discussion, which is an influence of books and music and the crossover between them. But first, I'd like uh, Mary to talk a little bit about her blog. Before I talk about my blog, I want to know why John is obsessed with drawing mouths today. I've been speaking a lot. We, we, <laughs> that's the only connection. That's the I only connection. It. Oh, no, no, no. I doodle when I'm gathering thoughts, and I've been gathering thoughts about what we're discussing next. Okay. Oh, I thought it was. I'm Matt, speaking I so much. I believe you should take pictures mouth. of John's drawings and post, post them, them online. On, the, on the website, yeah. Because I, I think everyone that. needs to see these. I and particularly I'll... like this one. I can definitely do that. So you can be like, oh, so this happened at 41 <laughs> minutes in. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Mary, what is, what is Kiss My Lit? So I write a blog called Kiss My Lit, which is about young adult literature. I write reviews. I interview authors. I also just talk a little bit about how I see young adult lit through different um, filters, for example. I discussed recently film adaptations of novels and how some can be great. Like I felt Hunger Games the movie was a great companion to Hunger Games the book. It's not a standalone in my opinion. And some can be awful. We can look at Blood and Chocolate, which had only character names in common with the book. So uh, what Kiss My Lit really does is it just discusses uh, young adult literature, the advancements being made, different books that are coming out. I also have flashback reviews. I review authors that have been writing for a very long time and their histories as well. So you can check out Kiss My Lit at kissmylit.wordpress.com. And you can also find me on Facebook. Okay. And what is the topic exactly that you bring to us today? So I find that in a lot of young adult books, music plays a huge role. You can look at any book by David Levithan and Rachel Cohn. They wrote Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List, Dash and Lily's Book of Dares. David Levithan has also written Boy Meets Boy. He's written uh, Every You, Every Me. Rachel Cohn has also written Gingerbread Shrimp, Cupcake. Uh, there's also Lil Bray, who's a huge music aficionado. Music plays a huge role in her books. For example, Going Bovine, which was all about the Copenhagen, I think it was the Copenhagen Experiment. Can't remember it exactly off the top of my head. Sounds like cows. <laughs> I think it's about cows. I've never read it, but I, 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 I posit cows. Going Bovine was actually about a boy who had mad, mad cow disease. Oh, okay. It was a very interesting book. So, a great thing about young adult literature is you can also find new genres of music, new bands to listen to, because the people who are writing these books are very entrenched in the young adult genre on all fronts. John Hughes movies, young adult um, artists, for example... 
Like Paramore, I would consider to be a young adult type sound. Mm, that's actually. Yeah, I, I would be on board with that. Yeah, I would. Agree. Yeah. I would. I would agree with that. Despite that, it seemed to be the craze at college. But I would. I would <laughs> yeah. say well, that a lot of college uh, readers nostalgia factor is very adult. important. Yeah. Can I let me, can I throw out a uh, early All American Rejects? And, oh yeah, I would absolutely. Say that. Simple and plan. I would say simple plan. Panic at the Disco. Yes, especially definitely. first album. Fallout Boy. Oh, oh yeah. there we go. Definitely, there we go. We just hit the mother load. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is the young adult band. Yep. They were. I don't think they are as much anymore. They because well, yeah, they've changed quite a bit. So they've, yeah, it's been oh, a definitely. while since I listened to them. So. Um, and it's funny because I got into them after the young adult era. Like I really like. They did a song called "This Ain't a Scene." It's an arms race. I actually hate that song. And I love it because <laughs> it's so different from their old stuff. And I thought it was branching out. I find it reprehensible on moral grounds, <laughs> but it's easy, it's easy to listen to. I don't know why, but I hate that song so much. I'm being sarcastic. I'm not. A, I'm. I'm, I'm very not... neutral on a lot of Fall Out Boy. <laughs> oh, I don't like most of their songs. Exceeding. I just that song caught my attention because it was so different from their earlier stuff. I will say that I think uh, Panic at the Disco, to some extent, I agree, but I believe it it beats out Fall Out Boy in terms of style. Oh yeah, and, oh, yeah and Instrumental ability, but um, at the same time, I really this has no bearing on on our discussion earlier. All right. But I don't like the majority of Panic because they felt <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I will not object to that. No, I was them, them specifically. I think they hit like right after the age I would have liked them in. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm, I'm younger than you, but I think it hit after the age I would. You're an liked old them. soul. <laughs> this is true. This is a valid point. Steve is going to be old before the rest of us. I yeah. wait. I wait. He already is old. That's true. Um, but but um, which means no more digs at Matt's age. <laughs> yeah, right. That's not, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. Um, but moving, I try. but br- bringing it back, um, another interesting thing that I thought about bringing Mary on also was to talk about how some bands quite literally just write about books. Like, oh yeah. Like, one of the more famous is of course Blind Guardian. They're a very big Euro metal band who've done tons of songs about Lord of the Rings. And then more recently, I discovered there's a band called Iced Earth. I think they're European as well. They just recently did an album completely devoted to Spawn, which is a more modern graphic novel. And I was surprised about it, but it was actually very, very good. I very much liked it. There is there is a whole genre in Europe of Tolkien death metal. Yeah, I guess is the best oh, way to describe it. It God. is no, it is is. You have to okay, love it or hate it, and I'm sure you're not going to love it. But it is an incredibly unique idea. Yeah. There's also Wiz Rock in the United Wizard States. Rock, yes. Yeah. Which is, I mean, what Mary's Huge been writing Wizard articles. She's been writing articles for us. Well, I'm you know, at, le- at least rock is broad, though. Like at least I, I, I could see you know one one uh, subject such as Token's work being done with a broad topic of rock. But death metal is just so specific. Can you like? You have will people you have actually not listen lived? to themselves on, on like No, you have not lived until the <laughs> voice oh has sung to you in beautiful Elven. <laughs> oh god. It is a truly unique experience which I don't think you will oh, ever really? want to read. Well I guess I will not argue that it's unique. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that'll be a subject for <laughs> for discontent. But going back to Wizrock, I know Mary's a big aficionado. I'm a I'm a big fan about it as well. Not every uh uh, we'll say not every musician in the, the genre is necessarily at the point of being good yet, but they're yeah, they're, they're very really... inva- innovative. They're very tongue in cheek in a lot of cases. They're for the most part just tend to be fun bands. Yeah, that's the great thing about Wizard Rock is most of the time if you find a band that you don't really like listening to, 
go see them anyway, because I bet you they're going to be so much fun. They'll be jumping around on the stage, they'll be jumping into the crowd, they'll want you to participate. They just will feed you so much energy that you have to give it back to them. I want to clarify for our listeners who may not know, Wizard Rock is a branch of rock, punk, even some hip-hop, that's completely focused around Harry Potter. Wizard Rock might not be that obvious, that's Harry Potter, but I just want to clarify that. Well, also... That's all the other wizards out there, I'm sorry. (laughs) No Schmendrick the Magician music, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was the last unicorn. Okay. You're um, letting everybody besides anyway. just Besides just Harry Potter, well, it does branch out to it, further genres as well. It, right. It's really um, more about <clears throat> nerd music. Wizard Rock, yes, it's very much about Harry Potter, but a lot of Wizard Rockers talk about nerd-related culture. Like, but, um, but I found that a lot of those Wizard Rock artists separate one from the other... Not necessarily. For example, Lauren Fairweather's album, uh, Devil Snare, half of that was Harry Potter, half of that was nerdy stuff. Okay. Because well, I'm basing it on, like, um, uh, Grace Kendall, who also performs under the name Snidget. Yeah. Her Snidget songs are all Harry Potter related mostly, but her Grace Kendall albums that she's released have mostly been focused on nerd She does general. have a couple of Harry Potter songs on her ukulele. Oh, okay. Well, the, right. the emphasis on Harry Potter, I think, is because Harry Potter is, is was sort of instrumental in repopularizing the mythos oh, yeah, of wizards. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, well I, reading, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. it wasn't... It wasn't it wasn't yeah. It wasn't just the genre itself. It was it introduced multiple generations into reading once again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was a launching point for true. young adults as a whole, wasn't it? It was more children's literature. Okay, children's literature. Okay. <laughs> so children's literature saw a lot of uh, pickup, so to speak, in right. terms of sales because people were looking for more things like Harry Potter. And the great thing about Harry Potter is that the stories grew up with the people reading them. It grew up with the characters. Harry Potter transcends age. <laughs> uh, to some I, that's probably a class at someone's college somewhere, oh, so I don't poke sure. fun, you stupid muggle. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone's been taking that course, clearly. Um, but <laughs> besides besides just Wizrock. Uh, and Tolkien death metal. <laughs> uh, there hasn't really been too many genre-specific. There's just been yeah. bands that have associated themselves with writing about literature. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Steve and I are toying around, kicking around an idea called the Literati, which is a literary rock band where the lyrics I've written have been about all different kinds of books, mostly young adult. But it's not just Harry Potter. I have one Harry Potter song. Right. But I also cover Inkheart. I cover... I'm going to be covering Cassandra Clare, Holly Black, a lot of these great authors who have a lot to offer in terms of their stories and their storytelling. And they have amazing titles out that I just want people to kind of relate to through my own experiences with them. Because that's the thing with these songs that I'm writing. It's about how I kind of fell in love with these stories and if you can hear the love in my words, in my voice, in Steve's music, then you may want to read it too. And I really want to promote reading that way. And that's, I think, is a brilliant way to do it. That's I, so beautiful. <laughs> I think that, I, I like that music can sometimes become this universal message. Oh yeah, definitely. And yeah. and one of my favorite graphic novels recently that I got into, of course, after the movie, but <laughs> then read it quite promptly right after the movie with Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim has lots of references to indie bands from oh, yeah. Canada, and I think that the, it's clear that the author, or, anim, or 
artist. Artist, not animator, because animation. Yeah, but I think it was the author. But I think he he wrote it. He didn't draw it. Um, that would be the writer. The person who creates the story is the writer. The person yes. who draws is the cartoonist. Thank you. Um, I think that he um, very much is a fan of these indie bands, and so that's why he made show so strongly to work it in. I mean, the three main character, three of the main characters from Scott Pilgrim are in a band called Sex Bomb, which is you know a band that. Honestly, the songs, when they were created in movie form, had little to do with video games or nerdy culture in general. They were just kind of indie songs about nothing. And I, that's what I kind of really liked, is that they had this extremely nerdy band name, but the songs weren't so much that nerdy. They were just kind of, you know, general indie rock. That's the flip side of what we were talking about, how music actually, in this case, inspired literature. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. granted, some people will look down upon... Uh, Things like comic books and stuff like that, which I think is a shame because I consider comic books oh, yeah. the new mythos of our generation. A couple the, of years back, there was a graphic novel that received a very prestigious award. It was like best novel of the year. I can't remember all the details, but this graphic novel received this award. And a lot of literary snobs were up in arms about it because they considered it to be, and I quote here, not a real book. Wasn't it Watchmen? I thought it was Watchmen that it, got an award. It was either Watchmen or Persepolis. Maybe. I don't quite remember, I don't remember which one either. it was. I, I had, don't have the pleasure of reading Persephilus. I um, haven't read it either, but I heard it's really good. But I have read Watchmen. I've, I've read books that have received, you know, top ten fame that don't even hold a candle to what what you're looking for in a comic is um, you're looking for stories of, of, of gods and heroes. Literally. That's that's how I consider comics, to be a, a mythology for our generation. There's where, they're where you go... To, to get uh, stories about morality, to get stories about Aesop fables, how to view life. And I think that's... And I'm, I'm going to just interject here, because if you want to hear more about comic books, I, I, w- I would like to plug another podcast that a friend of mine is doing, uh, Ryan Lynch and Josiano and Henry Verona. They are doing a podcast called Comic Books United. You can find them on Facebook and check it out. They're a about have as many issues of their podcast as we do our podcast, so you can <laughs> listen alongside if you wish. But I also like how even some of the some of the more modern comics and graphic novels aren't even trying to be that supernatural. You know, they are to a point, but like, I'm just still very at the beginnings of reading. I'm only on the second volume of The Walking Dead. When I was reading it on my camping trip this past weekend, I had to put it down halfway through. Because it was as heavy as reading a novel. Yeah. Because there's a lot of dialogue, and it's more about the people dealing with the zombies than the zombies themselves. And so much stuff comes up, and there's so much drama, and it's less about big action and these over-the-top characters, and more about this just this these people dealing with the zombie the apocalypse. And it was it's really interesting to me. Like I, I before that, I had re- read the third um, Hush, Heart of Hush, and blew through it. Because it was Batman. You know, I ate up... There was a lot of heaviness in that, too, but I ate it up because it was Batman. And, you know, Batman has this kind of... Suspension yes, Batman everything better. Yeah. <laughs> but with Walking Dead, these are very real people that you could identify with that... It, this could happen tomorrow. If, if it did, it would be very realistic. And it was just a lot heavier for me, and I find that fascinating. Whereas I don't even get that from some novels that I've read. And... Which is a, a little bit of a shame. Because there are a lot of novels... Uh, works of fiction, works works of nonfiction, which uh, people should read. And there's a couple that I'm going to mention here because they're back on the topic at hand. There's a, a, a biography about Jim Mor- uh, Morrison, which I have to loan Steve, that I'm <laughs> yes, yes, on my way through. 
It's called Nobody Gets Out of Here Alive. It's an incredible oh, story. I know that one. Yeah, okay. My brother got it for me for Christmas. I am in love with this. It's a really heavy read. Uh, but it's about how Jim uh, created his music. It's about his life, but in the time in, in the framework of his music, instead of just bland facts, it's trying to get takes on how he felt when he wrote songs and why he did the things he did. Another book I read was The Beatles Anthology, which was a great story about the Beatles. Like, you never knew that uh, uh, George Harrison lost his virginity in Germany with the other three of them in the room. And when he was done, they clapped. I mean, like, it's little things like that that humanizes an amazing, almost mythical figure of a band. All the awkward facts you didn't want to know. <laughs> oh, no. And more important stuff. But it was something, it's stuff like that that really like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And the reason I read these things is because of the way the Beatles made me feel. The way Jim Morrison's words, terrible singer but incredible lyricist, <laughs> just makes me feel when I listen to his music. That's why I, that's why I actually read this stuff. Otherwise, I ain't going to read it. Yeah. Well, I actually find that I read... Me, personally, I don't do a lot of reading. There are some books that I've, you know, pushed my way through, like The Hobbit, which I still don't really like J. R. Uh, Tolkien's writing style, but it's a good book. It just wasn't for me. I agree with that. But, but I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge reader. I like more interactive stuff. I like music and, and movies and video games more than, than just straight up reading. However, I do read autobiographies a lot more. Because, especially when the, the, auto, the person writing it writes it in their voice, one of my favorite books that I read in high school years was uh, Mankind, Mick Foley, The Wrestler, his first book, Have a Nice Day. Because when I was reading it, to me, it was like it was his voice. And, and that really drew me in. More recently, I read a, a, a book about... What's his name now from Top Gear? Uh, Richard Hammond. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book. He'd written a second book. And as a, so adorable. As erratic <laughs> as he is on the show, his words were the same way. And when I listened to the audio book, it was him reading it. And it just really pulled me in. Same with Chris Hardwick has a book, uh, a self-help book, that he wrote after he became big with his podcast to try and inspire nerds to kind of go to the next level. And he... He, he references music in there. He also references, he wants you to build a character sheet for your life. Pulling in D&D fans and stuff like that. And I just, I don't know, pe- so, books about people pull me in more. I guess because I can relate because they're actual people. And I gotta say, specifically Chris Hardwick, a lot of his inspiration for his music seems to come from other media. Literature and oh, yeah. movies, video Absolutely. games, things like that. And I find it to be uh, really fun um, to listen to his stuff. He's, he's a com- uh, com- uh, comedic. You did a um, hard and was firm. It? hard and firm. Hard and yeah. firm. That's uh, a stand up. Yeah, he did a, a band with Mike Furman called Hard and Firm, where they have a lot of comedy songs together. And then, of course, his his partner in crime, Mike Furman, did a solo record as well, which was very popular and very funny. Um, and yeah, I mean, there Mike Furman did a song called Wootstock, and it was about the Wootstock uh, concert series with Paul and Storm and Adam Savage and Will Wheaton. But it was also about just nerd culture in general. Yeah. And they referenced Doctor Who, they referenced Battlestar Galactica, they referenced D&D, they referenced video games. And it, you know, it's, I like when, when they're referencing pop culture and they bring in literature as well as other things. I mean, yeah. mixing of medias has always fascinated me. Always. Yeah, I love new mediums. And I think, um, 
that's a it's a good point you mentioned that the comedic music because that's another plug for a future podcast. So <laughs> we definitely will be want doing to do that. Yeah, we're doing that. We're probably going to do that after the year. I want to do it for. I really want to start that April first. <laughs> I want to do an April Fool's month for that. We could. That's definitely an idea. Um, we we have a so lot of stuff in the works. I know it's it's so you far. Just oh, like we want to do, we, we really want to do a classic rock uh, month. But you know, I, I want to get. One of especially with the flood of album releases in September, October, November, I really want to try and talk about a lot of those, but we'll definitely get back to that. Back to the subject at hand, because we've <laughs> gone well off into the distance at this point. It happens. Um, the person who actually this is about and we haven't really talked to, Mary. <laughs> we were mentioning how music has inspired literature. I know of a few. Do you, do you know of any... Because I know Matt's got Scott Pilgrim, and Steve hasn't said anything on the subject. Here are a couple of big ones. I rambled off a bunch of names before, but one of the biggest ones is Nick and Nori's Infinite Playlist. It's a book about two kids who kind of meet, their lives intersect, and they go off and they have this wild adventure together. And they're both so entrenched in music that... To find what they have in common musically is what really seals the deal of their budding relationship. It comes with the playlist as you read along. If you look up David Levithan and Rachel Cohn, you can definitely find the music that they're listening to as they write this book. Uh, they also include music in Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List. I don't think music played a very big part in Dash and Lily's Book of Dares. Um, if it did, it was all Christmas music. Aww. It was a Christmas story. It was very adorable. Christmas right. album week. Huh? <laughs> I am huh? down for that. No. Yeah. No. Steve and I will do it. You guys can go away. I don't care. Do you want it, Matt? Do you want a Jewish? Yeah, we can. Like, we can do uh, a Hanukkah, Hanukkah album week. Honestly, truthfully, all Adam Sandler. We're, we're getting. All. I'd rather kill myself. <laughs> but be- while we're digressing a little bit before Mary continues. I don't have a problem with Christmas music per se, but I like Christmas music that's not just your standard carols and jingles. I like I like when bands do Christmas music, like Bowling for Soup's Christmas music I'm a big fan of. I think it's great. The Dolly Rots have done great Christmas music. Um, Jonathan Colton, who we talked about on the first podcast, he has a few very funny Christmas songs. Like I like that more than the standard Christmas music. I have a problem with Christmas music. <laughs> I agree. No. It's right. easy to occur with with uh, is this I'm a Christian. Be a rant? Can no, we... I'm not. It's not a rant, but I grew up you every have thirty seconds. It was it was <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving to three weeks after Christmas. Uh-huh. My mom continuously listened to Christmas music. That's all I heard. That's me. At this point, mm-hmm. I hear a song once a season, and that's enough. If I hear it again, I'm going nuts. See, I, I didn't have that. Exposure. I will listen to I have, Christmas music in July. I'm I sorry, have Steve. old old carols. Actually, I would go back to like the early stuff, which is why I like the more creative renditions of the earlier work. Well, which you know, kind of like what you said, Matt, right. with a modern bands doing workups of old stuff. I think that you can do creative covers with that. Best modern version was the Muppets doing um, Carol the Bells. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, another great author who utilizes music. I mentioned her before, Libba Bray. She actually did a reading, I think it was last year, when she was doing a series where she was talking about going bovine. She read this personal essay that she wrote about her experience with music growing up. And music was how she bonded with her brother. And when they drifted apart, when family members died and they finally got back in touch, 
the thing that really brought them together was, so what did you think of that new Nirvana album? Hmm. Or mm. something like that. It was just this moment where they asked each other about music they've been listening to, and that's what really brought them back together. I think and that would separate me from, from anybody. <laughs> oh, talking about Nirvana? <laughs> that, that's the moment where I go off the cliff. <laughs> nah, I kid, I kid. Anyway, no. the question wasn't, what do you think of that album? The question was, where the hell were you? Ah. So it's just the way we can communicate through music, and she does it through literature as well as through music. I mean, going bovine had a huge musical influence, even though it wasn't about music necessarily. Um, this band kept cropping up and traveling through space and time, but... There was one book I read, I can't think of the title of it, uh, Peeps? Oh, was I there... actually didn't read that one, that's Scott Westerfeld, though. He's it wasn't also... Peeps, it was the sequel to Peeps, I think. Maybe? The whole genre, it was a, it's a... Same guy who did Uglies? Yes. Okay. Uh... Westerfield. Uh, Westerfeld. Westerfeld. They were interesting <laughs> books. They were interesting books. I'm Honestly, I don't really know even now if I liked them or I didn't like them. They were uh, unusual storylines. Uh, uh, very fantasy-oriented, very uh, supernatural-oriented. Heavy influence with music. Yeah. Very heavy influence. Uh, the main characters were all in a band, but there were huge that. supernatural elements involved in this. I believe that of Westerfeld. Um, there was one book I know was heavily influenced by music. It kind of upsets me, only because of the book itself. Oh, are we gonna go? We're going there. We're going. Actually, there. we're, going we're, we're there. gonna we're gonna talk about this only I have because feelings. it produced I have feelings, John. something good. I know. Yeah, um, I I I'm not a Twilight fan at all. <laughs> he said it. You ripped the bandaid off. Yep. <laughs> but okay. But Ow. I have feelings. But. Regardless of how I feel about the the books or the movies, bands like Muse, and especially bands like Blocktober, they attri- they can attribute their career more or less to the push they got from Stephanie Meyer because of how much she listened to their music while writing these stories. So basically for anyone who does not know, Stephanie Meyer has these playlists of what she was listening to while she was writing the Twilight series. Muse and Blue October are two big names that come off of that list. And say whatever you will about Stephanie Meyer as a writer, Stephanie Meyer as whatever the heck she wants to be now. I have issues. I will get to that another time. She is very good to the people who inspire her. Uh, the lead singer of Blue October. Whose um, name is Justin Furstenfeld. Yes, Justin Furstenfeld. He has a song called My Never. Yes. I believe it was My Never that mm-hmm. was in the book. I admit I have all of the Twilight books. I bought the special edition of Breaking Dawn because it came with a handwritten sheet of My Never lyrics and a disc that had the Blue October concert series that was in support of Twilight. But that is the whole reason I bought it. No one judge me. I simply cannot argue the staunch monologue (laughs) taking place here. But... I think it's fascinating how someone like Stephanie Meyer took Blue October on tour, or at least Justin Furstenfeld, I think it was, to play some of his tr- his songs acoustically 
while she read excerpts from one of the books or something or notes. Something to that effect. And I think that's fascinating, and I wish more authors would do that. Well, it's true, because I, I, I am very interested in this. I mean, we spend so much time looking at the influences of a band, where they got their influence and how they create music. But ultimately what it's about is us as the listener. We're the ones listening. We're the ones enjoying it and gaining inspiration from it for yeah. whatever we do, whether that's writing music, which is what I try to do, and then there's other people who write literature, and that's... Influences can come from anywhere. Yeah. Music is at a top tier. And I kind of want to break the mold with the assuming influences. Like, I'm hoping soon that we'll have some musicians on here as well as guests. And I really want to find out what influenced them besides music. Was there a book that they read that really influenced their, their style? Was there a movie they saw? You know, I mean, these are things that are important. You're going to bring a musician on all the time and just ask them about music. If they've been on other podcasts or on other TV shows... You already heard their whys and hows when they were growing up. I want to know what other stuff they like. Do they like fruit salad? What's their favorite candy bar? Clearly the most important questions, too. Yes. Like, really, I don't think we as a society thinks about this enough. John, what is it? John's going to have an aneurysm. John's had his hand up for about five minutes. No, what's, what the thing is, this is really the first time in the world where such information can become readily available. It, we're in the information age. Now is the time where we can actually say, yes, I was listening to so-and-so and watching Martha Stewart when I decided to write my, my you know, awe-inspiring, changing-the-world book. Hmm. It's never happened before where we can actually do something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I know, Martha Stewart. I was going to say that, it really. never happened before that Martha Stewart was the inspiration, but... <laughs> but it's the first time we can actually get that we sort of information infer. out there. And it's not like... Nowadays, go on Amazon. You, you buy a lot of books. You're not going to just see recommendations of what books to get. Now it recommends oh, no. other it mediums, recommends too. Other yeah, Absolutely. there's movies, there's television, there's music, there's well, video there's games. Well, there's only one other thing I dislike about that, though. And that's, that, that's sort of uh, consumer culture trying to place us in a box to a certain extent. Right. I, I, I believe that as, as a viewer, as a listener, as a lover of art in general, we should make our own decisions. And when we make our own decisions, you know, that, that's going to determine where we're going to end up. And but I, I don't believe that it should be determined for us. I agree, but I, just I also... Like more, the more information, the better. I agree, but I also feel that some people need help. And those kind of services are designed for those people. I agree. I 100%. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if we've learned nothing today, we've learned that... Um, that there, there's crossover influences in all media, and we're going to get into that more as the podcast progresses with movies and with video games and with all sorts of entertainment. I would be fascinated to find out what artists, painters, animators, what their, what music influences them. And I actually will be... I, I wrote the, the first one. It's on the website about video games and music, and uh, the next one should be actually be up very soon. It's actually about how... Exactly what we're talking about how video games influenced music and vice versa. And how video games' music evolved with the games. You know, when they got past 8-bit, the music did too, you know? And it became these huge, sweeping orchestral scores for these big-budget games, like mm. big-budget movies. And sometimes it went the exact opposite. Right. So there's plenty of games where it actually became simple. Yeah, very minimalist. And that was important. Minimalist 8-bit music. Always good. <laughs> no, not even... Not, you'll see. <laughs> I'm not even going to let you Don't know. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil You'll it. You'll see. You'll see. Dun, dun, dun. But, um, but in closing, um, I was very happy to have Mary on today. I think that it's very important that we talk about crossover in media because it kind of pushes 
the way that the world works now in this information age. I'm glad we mentioned literature. I'm glad. I'm glad comic books came up, which gave me the chance to give that plug. So I think we should all plug our respective things again. I would like to plug Comic Books United again. Find them on Facebook. Are they paying you? No. no. Soon. Soon. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> um, I haven't got an agreement yet. <laughs> and in wrapping, of course. Um, please check out Kiss My Lit. Um, I have a link to it from the CrashCords.com page, so please check that out, especially if you're into young adult literature. Um, it's got some great stuff there. I want to thank Mary again for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And I would also ask if she would honor us by doing our sign-off. Of course, because music is life, and life is good. Thank you, and good night. Or good morning. <laughs> <laughs>